You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 129. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Nick Hardwick, former NFL center for the San Diego Chargers, to discuss what it really took mentally to compete in the NFL at a high level for over 10 years. From overcoming injuries, pressure, and CTE symptoms from the game, Nick shares his story of mental toughness and true grit. Listen how this professional completely transformed his mind and body. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely, anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. You're interested in a full-body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals? The Mass Suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The Mass Suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sports specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile and it's great for plyometric and high intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the Mass Suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products, and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Nick, how are you? I am doing fantastic, Grant. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on my show and to have an incredible veteran like yourself that played in the NFL for so long at the level you did, uh, I can only imagine the kind of mindset that you've had to had or have to, to play that position of, of center, which is a really tough position to play in the trenches. So I'm really excited to kind of share with my listeners your mindset, your journey as, as a professional athlete, and how you transitioned out of sport into, in, into what you're doing today. So I'm really excited to have you on my show. Yeah, fantastic. Looking forward to sharing. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get into mental toughness. I know that, you know, with the amount of years that you played, not only in the professional ranks, but also in your collegiate career, you've definitely had to be mentally tough. Uh, So when you think about mental toughness or being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? You know, it's it's a great question, and I think it's a, a really difficult phrase to pin down, and it has a different meaning to everybody. And I I try to give it to my boys, mental toughness. And that's kind of the tenets that we raise our family by. You have to be tough, you have to be hardworking, and you have to be respectful. Well, tough can take a bunch of different kind of angles, right? You can go tough, physically tough. You can be tough in the ring. You can be tough in the arena. Or you can be tough and you can be a guy who can or gal who continues to persist against all odds knowing that you're moving in the right direction. I like to think of toughness as being able to stay optimistic even when times look bleak, being able to stay optimistic when you're against all odds and being able to stay optimistic when 
it looks like the challenge ahead is going to be a long one that's going to continue to grind you down, but you continue to go at it and face the opponent or the competitor or the obstacle or the challenge or whatever it may be with a smile on your face. Because at the end of the day, we're all just really lucky to be here and to have these obstacles and opportunities presented for us to either succeed or to fail on. And and that to me, mental toughness. I mean, it's the first tenant in the family of the hardware family tough. You have to be tough because life is hard. There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of challenges. There are so many times on a daily basis where you, you have to make little tiny choices that are going to either take you closer to your goal or further away from your goal. I think toughness and mental toughness, it all relates to discipline and Though that discipline and that being tough to say, no, I'm not going to do that right now because it's taken me further away from my goal than I want to be. It's taken me further away from the success that lies ahead. I'm going to say no to that. And I'm going to say yes to success. That really, to me, is mental toughness. And it's really doing it with a smile on your face, as hard as it may be and as hard as those decisions may be on a daily basis. I think mental tough, mentally tough people end up winning in the long run. Mm. You know what, Nick? You're you're absolutely right. I've I've done a hundred and some uh, episodes of this show, and everybody that that answers that it's been different. And actually, no one's ever brought up the element or the component of optimism, and which I think is awesome. And and I agree with you. And I also believe, you know, to be tough or to be mentally tough, you have to be physically tough too. It's not just about being one component of toughness. You have to understand and embrace all of them. And, uh, and, and, and being disciplined in the moment, whether if it is to make a, a decision that's better for your goals or decision, better decision for yourself or better decision for your team, um, that's, you know, especially when it's in a high-pressured, chaotic situation, you know, it's it's tough to do, but you got to train yourself. You got to be vulnerable in the moment, exactly. right? So yeah, exactly. So let's let's talk about like a mental tough situation. And I know that you've got tons of them. <laughs> I can only imagine <laughs> how many. But when you, when you reflect on your career, is there was there a specific time where you had to be mentally tough and share that with my listeners? Oh, so many times. And really, in, in playing in the NFL and playing the position that I did, every single day required a new level of mental toughness. It required some level. And other one, one day could be a lot more mentally challenging than other days. But I was just sharing with my boys who are eight and six, Hudson and Teddy is their names. I was sharing with them uh, about waking up every day, going to training camp as a rookie, and going against Jamal Williams, who was, if not the best, he was certainly one of the best <laughs> NFL nose guards for a really, really long time. I mean, this guy was absolutely phenomenal. And as a rookie showing up raw, going against a guy who was in his physical prime, he was in his mental prime, and he was an absolute killer on the field, that required so much mental toughness. I mean, to the point where, Every single day before practice, I was so anxious about blocking this monster that I threw up before every single practice. I mean, the anxiety took over. I think I developed an ulcer because of it. And, you know, that was just one thing. I was teaching them about having a training partner, and you're only as good as your training partner allows. And mm. I was telling them, I was teaching them that because my six-year-old gets really frustrated and 
that always leaked the fights with the eight-year-old because the eight-year-old oftentimes did a lot of the endeavors. He's, he's better then because he's got two years more experience. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster. He's got all of those attributes. So my six-year-old gets really frustrated and it always just breaks down into a fight. And, and then a lot of times he loses the fight, right? right. So, but, but, but what I told him is, and trying to break it down like this, is you're only really as good as your training partner is. And for a long time, your training partner may beat the tar out of you, just like Jamal Williams wore me out on a daily basis over practice after practice, two a days. Every time I stepped out there, I thought, oh, God, I don't know if I can do this. But you face the fire and you stand up to it and slowly but surely you're able to withstand the charge. And then eventually you're able to win a couple of battles. And then eventually you're winning more than your fair share of battles. And then he's getting better. And now we're finally competing at a level where we're both improving. So that was kind of the lesson I give my boys. So that one was the freshest on my mind was just showing up to practice every single day and the physical component of football and being willing and able to, to throw your body around when you wake up in the morning and you put your feet on the ground and you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to get through a practice because I can't bend down and touch my toes right now. My knees are incredibly sore. Every muscle in my body is throbbing, yet I have to go out to training camp and I have to do that two times today. I don't know how that's going to get done. I don't, looking back, know how it did get done, but it did. And I tell you, it's just, it's a lot of mental toughness and a lot of discipline and just saying, if there's a will, there's a way, and I'm going to find that way to get that done. And, you know, that's one little example. But, you know, when I think back of my career, really, I don't think back to the real positive moments. I think back really positively about the negative moments that happened in my career, about the times when in a playoff game, I snapped the ball over Philip Rivers' head or the time on a Halloween game in Kansas city in 2011 or 12 that we had the ball on the 15 yard line tie game minute and 15 to go in the game. And all we had to do is snap the ball, take a knee and kick a field goal. And lo and behold, we dropped the snap because I was horsing around trying to do a hero block on the nose guard for Kansas city at the time. And ended up dropping the snap. They recovered. They ended up winning an overtime and who is the goat? Not like greatest of all time, but like who is the goat goat? I was the scapegoat for sure. It was me and Philip, and we spent 72 hours on text messages, phone calls, in meetings, looking at one another going, how can we face the team after that? Monday night football, Halloween night, the entire nation's watching, and we just blew this game that we had wrapped up in a gift bag, and we couldn't get it done. And, you know, kind of what hit me after all that is we were talking back and forth. We didn't really know how we blew the game. We didn't know technically what exactly happened. It was very difficult to see on the film. But the one thing that hit me was we have to move past this, and there has to be a way. And what really grabbed me in my head is I'm not as good today as I will be tomorrow. And that's been a mantra and a motto of mine that I'm giving to my kids now is I'm not as good today as I will be tomorrow. And and really, it, it plans for growth in the long term. Tomorrow, I'm going to be better than I was today. And two days from now, I'm going to be better than I will be tomorrow. And in a year from now, I'm certainly going to be better than I was a year ago. But it also plans for failure. And it allows for failure. 
And, and so when you're talking about mental toughness, part of that is coming up with new constructs in your brain that allow you to get over the failure or to allow you to accept failure and embrace failure and seek even failure because failure is the good stuff. Failure is where we're pushing our boundaries back and it's really where we're getting better. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. You know, and, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about all of this, this mindset and, and overcoming adversity, uh, not only with the plays and decisions you made and also with your body, if you were to describe when you reflect in your career, but if you can describe in one word, like what was, how would you describe your mindset? And then what does it take to really compete in the trenches day in and day out? One word to describe my mindset in the NFL, you know, looking back, I guess that word would be blessed. Mm. Thank, thankful and blessed. I mean, I get a, I get the opportunity to talk to rookies on occasion. And I was for a while speaking to the charger rookie classes, they were coming in and I kind of give my thoughts about being in the NFL, about how I went about my game plan. And I give them kind of a real detailed layout of this is what the week should look like. Here's what your maintenance program on your body should look like. Here's some food that you should maybe considering. And here's how you want to set up your meetings. And here's how you want to take your notes. And then at the end of it all, I would put up a, a slide on the PowerPoint. It was just a strand of DNA. And I would say at the end of the day, you guys have to remember one thing. You're really lucky to be here. You're really lucky that that physically your parents were able to come together and your genetic line allowed you to be as big, strong, and fast as you are and to think the way that you can. You're really lucky to have that DNA in your body that has the, the right muscle types, that has the right bone structure, that fits into this game that for whatever reason, everybody in the country seems to absolutely love and gravitate to and that we can make a killing at financially. So remember that you're lucky, but remember this too. You're no better than anybody else. You just happen to have a job that everybody likes to gather around on Sundays and watch. You're, it doesn't make you better than the person that's cleaning the toilets at the facility or that's feeding you or that's doing all the accountancy work and taking care of your 401k or that stuff in your equipment bag to get you ready to fly out to Denver on Friday. You're no better than anybody in the way. You just happen to have a really lucky piece of DNA. So when I look back at the NFL career, I guess I can't help but think that I'm, I'm lucky and I'm really blessed and I will never forget that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, within any position in the NFL or on a football team, you ha you have to be a warrior. I don't even care if you're a kicker or a punter, but yes. you have to be a warrior. And so, you know, when I'm working with athletes and even with myself as an athlete, when I played the game for 13 years, there was a transition that I had that I went through and I teach athletes as far as transitioning into the warrior mindset. So literally finding out really who are you outside of sport, because that's who you are, and sport is what you do. But there's going to be a moment where you let go of who you are and you commit to this role, this football player role. And yes. and that could be different for everybody. It could be a different cue or a trigger. Um, it could be a different character or a feeling. But there's there's this commitment that you transition into something or into this role. So I can only imagine being a center like for 
especially the people that you had to train with, you had to show up every day with that warrior mindset. So was there a process or transition of kind of transitioning into that, that warrior mindset? Because I mean, you, you, you were competing in the trenches every day. Oh yeah, absolutely. There was a process. And I tell you the, the process never really reared its head as much as it did on the drive to training camp every single year where you realize that you are putting on a mask, you're putting on a different mask, a different outfit. You're trying to turn yourself back into a superhero that the, the drive to training camp, there was this strange feeling of reluctance where you realized on whether it was a two hour drive to training camp, like it was my first year or a 20 minute drive to the team hotel in subsequent years, that drive was so painful just because deep down you knew that your true self was going to die for the next six months, that you were going to put it on the shelf, that you were going to be able to revisit it. But for six months, you knew you had a crap ton of work ahead of you. You knew you were going to have to to bite down and bear through a bunch of pain and a bunch of discomfort. It was going to be a ton of fun, but you did have to put on another mask. And, and that's really when it reared its head. And I think, you know, when, if you look at pictures of me, you can physically see me through the years putting on a mask in a outfit and essentially a costume. I've got two sleeves of tattoos. I've got a giant tattoo on my body. I like tattoos, but I think part of it was really putting on that costume and getting into that mindset and really just embodying that warrior that I had to get into to be able to compete at that level for that long. I think part of it really was that mindset of it's kind of a prison mentality. It's like, I'm, I'm big, I'm bad, I'm scary, you don't want to mess with me, stay away, when in reality, I'm as soft as a teddy bear, I love hugs, <laughs> I'm, I have, like, at 38 years old now, looking down at my tattoos, I still love them, they're fun, it's me, and I'll never get rid of them, but at the same time, I'm like, there's no way if I didn't step onto a football field that I would have these same tattoos, because there would be no need to come across as an imposing figure that was scary and intimidating. I don't have any need for that any longer. So really I can be my authentic self where when you're in that football locker room, it's, it's so prison like, and just, I mean that because it's a, it's a real alpha male driven sport. And the guys who can lead are the baddest dudes in the locker room are the baddest dudes on the field. And, you only get that opportunity if everybody trusts that you are the toughest guy in that locker room. So part of it was really becoming that warrior. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy to think about this. We'll, we'll kind of switch, you know, lenses or an angle on the whole warrior mindset because, and I've seen this a lot um, as of late with, with offensive linemen, Generally speaking, offensive linemen are big men. And back in the day, in the '80s and the '90s, you know, they were they were fatter, but now they're they're a little bit more leaner and bulkier. But they're just taller and faster. They're a little bit different um, these days. Now, what I've seen mm-hmm. from you is that not only transitioning out of sport, your whole life, your health, your mindset has transitioned. You've transformed your body. Uh, I mean, it, it, to look at you now versus when you play, you're, you're two different people. The way that the way that I see you. 
And so yes. that warrior mindset that you had, even though it was in a prison-like uh, environment, how did that warrior mindset help you to transition and transform yourself into where you're at right now? You know, I think the, I, I don't necessarily look at myself as a warrior now, unless it's like a health warrior or a brain health warrior or something like that. But, you know, what I did learn from that was really in, in my experience, you can only have great success if you're embodying what you're trying to get accomplished. If you really commit. And Bobby Ross said it at Junior Seau Celebration of Life at Qualcomm Stadium after he passed, was there's two kinds of people There's at, at breakfast. There's the chicken and the egg. The chicken, yeah, the chicken's involved. I mean, the chicken donates its eggs, but the pig, the pig's in it. The pig is fully committed. The pig is donating himself to the buffet. And I've always liked to think of myself as the pig at the buffet rather than the chicken who's donating the eggs. I, I really do feel like you have to go all in to find what you're looking for. And when it comes to transitioning out of the NFL and finding a new body and finding new health, I've just completely committed myself to that where in the football world, everything that I did was geared towards becoming a better player, becoming a better teammate, a better leader, and helping my team get closer to a championship. So that decision-making corridor, it, it was a real yes-no proposition, right? It was, does this help me become a better football player or not? Yes, I will do that. If not, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Do I need to go out to this party? Is that going to make me a better football player? Is that going to help me and our team get closer to a championship? No? All right. Well, I'm not going to do that. Those are very easy decisions. Well, now in in my post NFL life, everything has been geared around my health. And so the decision-making process is essentially the same. If it's taking me closer to health, then yes, I will do that. If it's taking me further away from health, then I will not do that. And I will abstain. You know, and I I love it how you're, you're talking about health and that being a, a a core, um, you know, milestone to, to focus your decisions on. Uh, I, I went through the same thing. I, I played, you know, football a long time ago for 13 years. I had, you know, career-ending injury to my hip. Um, I've had two hip replacements on my on my left hip before I was 40. Wow. So um, I had to go through all sorts of stuff, you know, identity issues, depression, and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, and I had to go through that whole process of being the man, then not being the man, and now that I'm the man again because I've re-engineered my body and my mind just like how, you, you know, like you did, uh, but you've you've had different a different journey, but something similar because you've dealt with a lot of injuries um, throughout your career and towards the end. And so, from a mindset standpoint, mm-hmm. like how did you how did you overcome those injuries? How did you you know your an- ankle injury and your neck injury and coming back? Like what brought you back to play this game? Yeah, and probably the biggest one that I had was a it was called a Liz Frank injury. So I dislocated my midfoot. I was blocking a guy for the Raiders named Turdell Sands. He was about 400 pounds, and I was giving her all she had. And my right guard happened to step on my foot at the time, and I twisted away from him. Well, that foot didn't move, but all the weight and everything I had strength-wise was loaded on that. And when I twisted it, it basically tore my foot in half. I tore three ligaments that required a plate, seven screws, and three wires to repair it. I was non-weight-bearing for 12 weeks after that, and 
I really didn't know if I was going to be able to come back and be the type of player that I wanted to be. My game certainly changed after that. But I'll tell you this, looking back after, after my career and even in the middle of my career, was sitting on that couch, recovering and going through a depression. And it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. One, it, it let me realize that because I had to watch somebody else do what I thought was my job. I was the center of the Chargers, yet I was on the sideline watching somebody else do my job. It let me realize that this is fleeting, that this is going to pass, that eventually you're not going to be able to, to do the job any longer, and somebody else is going to be in there. So it's not your job. It's a job that you're doing. And kind of the song wheel in the sky keeps on turning <laughs> yeah. like that that song just stuck out so clearly in my head and i just realized like this is all going to end and then further when i took that little example of my nfl career i also realized at that time it's like holy crap not only is my nfl career going to end i'm going to die at some point because you get into the nfl and i'm telling you a lot of guys feel like they're immortal. It's like, I can do anything. I'm as strong as anybody in the world. I can break somebody's will. I can impose myself on them. And all of a sudden you're on the sidelines. You're watching everybody go. You feel debilitated because you can't walk around. I'm on like one of those little rolly scooters. And you realize that your time in the NFL is fleeting. Your time on this planet is fleeting. But those times that I spent on the couch, whether after my ankle, when I missed, 13 games uh, in 2009 or the time that I missed multiple games for my Liz Frank injury, or even at the end of my career, you know, those feeling that pain was a really humbling experience. And it, it really is. And this sounds really masochistic to think about it, but I'm really thankful for those times because while I was sitting on the couch or while I was on the sidelines and rehabbing, I took so much from those moments because I tried to take a lot from those moments. And it really forced me to get introspective to think I could have blamed those injuries on freak incidents. But, but what I tried to do in those moments was maybe my head wasn't in the right spot and maybe that's why I got injured. Or mm. maybe if I wouldn't have, if I took a real deep look at the way I felt right before that snap, maybe I was a little jumpy and a little anxious and I tried to get on him too quickly. And maybe I put my foot where it shouldn't have. And maybe if I would have settled down, then I would have been able to just get the block done and I would have gotten out of there with my health. So there was always things that I thought underlying the injuries that led to the injuries and I, I tried to hold myself responsible for them and then really get better from those moments. You know, that's, that's the power of, of reflection. And, and I think yes. that's how we get better is, you know, we talk about that phrase 1% better. Well, you know, yes, we do certain things every day consistently for a long time. We get better, but um, we don't do them perfectly. So if we reflect on them, that's how we act. And don't get stuck on the reflection, the, the emotional charge of it. But if we can truly get the feedback from it, that's how we progress, and I love how you were introspective in that. And and I can only imagine the feelings that you were feeling throughout your career, playing a very uh, you know very tough in the trench type position. But towards the end of the your career, 
and you're starting to get to that point where you, you needed to make a decision to leave the game of football, like when did you realize your body had enough and when and how hard was that decision? And when you left the game of football, was it was it a hard transition or did you feel like you created more space and you felt more at ease of leaving the game? Yeah, great question. So I was coming on my 11th season and it was the last year under my contract and I didn't want to stay too long. I had been warned by a strength coach early in my career to not stay too long, get what you need out of the game, get what you need financially, scratch that itch and then get out. So I almost retired after my eighth season and that was my second contract. I got offered a third contract and it was really difficult to turn down the kind of money that they were throwing at me. So I played Ended up being another three seasons, but the training camp of 2014, I kind of started having a bunch of what they call stingers, which is nerve impingements in the neck. I've got bone spurs and herniated discs in my neck. And, and this was kind of an ongoing battle that I had had for my entire career, even all the way back to college. I've got a really long neck and playing center. It's very exposed. And so it wasn't really much of a decision on my part. The decision was really made for me. It was Monday night football week one. We're in Arizona and I had probably had 30 really good stingers during training camp that year. And the, that game Calais Campbell gave me a really good stinger. We went and got an x-ray at the stadium that day. And then the next day went and got an MRI at the hospital and as I showed back up to the facility on Tuesday, both the trainer and the head doctor at the time said, hey, we've got we to talk to you, Nick, and it's going to be a difficult conversation. And in my head, I was like, hallelujah, they're going to shut me down because my hands were starting to shut down. They were doing my ring finger and my pinky finger were starting what they call what I call like uh, lobster clawing. So they were sticking together. I was having a really difficult time like buttoning a shirt or twisting the bottle on a cap or holding a pen. I could snap and I could block, but I was definitely going to get more stingers and it was only going to get worse. So they ended up shutting me down after week one uh, in 2014. And so the difficult, the, the and I knew that that was going to be my last year. Anyhow, Unfortunately, I wasn't able to finish it out the way that I wanted to finish it out and kind of go out on my terms and make one last run. But immediately, once I knew that I was done playing for good, not only that year, I started shedding the weight. And once I shed that weight, there was no going back because I was way too small at the time. So by the time the end of the season came around, I was about 210 pounds. I showed up at my retirement press conference at 208. So there was most certainly no going back. I lost all the muscle. I lost all the fat that was required to do the job. I could not do the job even if I wanted to. So there was no turning back. And I thought the transition, I was going to crush it because I had lost the weight like everybody told me to. I was ahead of schedule according to my plan because I had a jump start because I was losing weight during the season. And I had a job lined up. I was going to be a disc jockey at the local classic rock channel in San Diego. And I was starting two weeks after my retirement press conference. In fact, I announced my new job at my retirement press conference. So I thought, 
I've got this thing looked. I've got a career started. I've got a direction that I'm headed in. I've lost all my weight. Physically, I'm in a really good place. And two months afterwards, after I started that new job at the radio station, I, I it was a Saturday. And I remember I broke down to my wife and I said, something's not right. I don't feel very good. I don't, I don't want to go to work on Monday. And so I called my boss and I called my co-host at the station and I said, I'm not coming in Monday and I, I don't think I'm coming in any other day anytime soon. Uh, you might want to find somebody else to do my job. I'm just, I'm not feeling good. And I, I remember then going in, talking to my wife and telling her, I don't feel right. Something's off here. And in fact, I mean, to the point where I said, you can take all the money that we've earned over the years, leave me with a million dollars. I'm going to go to Nicaragua. You don't want me in your life anymore. I had never been to Nicaragua. I had never experienced Nicaragua. I have no idea why that country came out of my mouth at that time. But that was the kind of spot that I was in. And, you know, thankfully we had two really young boys at the house and my wife kind of bore down on me and she looked at me and she looked at the boys and she's like, you're not going anywhere. We're going to get you the help that you need. And we're going to get through this because this family needs you. And so, you know, I'm really thankful that I had her and she helped me find the, the direction that I needed, not only as somebody in the family and just realizing that she accepted me for who I am without the game of football and without being the captain of the chargers and without you know, all of that. She just loved me. And I think that was, you know, the first step into kind of getting better. And then, you know, I had to go get my blood checked and I had to get my brain checked and make sure everything was on where it needed to be. And lo and behold, it wasn't. And there's a reason if you're feeling that bad, why you're feeling the way you are. And it's because things in your body are off and, and they most certainly were in mine. And, and so the transition while I thought it was going to go swimmingly, it, it most certainly didn't. It was very difficult and it got dark at some times, but, you know, we just kept moving forward one foot at a time and found the help medically that I needed. Uh, it got, got that all sorted out medically. And then thankfully my bosses at the radio station called back and they said, hey, there's a uh, position available for you this year if you want it. We're looking for a sideline reporter for the radio broadcast of the Chargers, if you'd still like that opportunity. And I said, most certainly, I'd love that opportunity. Thank you again for calling me back. And not only did that job open up, but also being a host at the sports talk radio station opened up in the mornings, which I'm a real morning person. And getting able to talk ball and still be involved with the charger organization. I started hosting a TV show for them that I did for a couple of years. And, you know, that really smoothed out the transition. It was a gentler step down, being able to have somewhere to go to still be involved in the former life that I was in, but not at the capacity that I was in. And so the transition really started to, to smooth out. I, I can honestly say this, it's been five years out of the NFL now. Life is, life is great. Life is better now out of the NFL. I feel like a better person, a better dad, a better husband, and a healthier individual outside of the NFL. And I'm really enjoying my experience that I've been given right now.
That's awesome, man. I mean, that that's a and thank you for being vulnerable with that story. It's, you know, when I went through my my trials and tribulations, which took me about almost two decades to get over uh, what I had to go wow. through, because um, it was a little similar but a little bit the same. Where uh, I didn't have a choice; my body made the choice, and I think that's what pissed me off because I didn't get to leave the game that I loved the way that I wanted to. And plus, I, it was yeah. my worst season that I ever played in the 13 years that I played. It was the, my worst season. Ugh. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave it that way, and I did. But um, thank God for my wife and, and your wife, man, because it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was probably when I met with her. It was probably 10 years of her seeing me. You know, she saw the way I walked and the way that I was handicapped from my first surgery for four years, and you know, she had to clip my toenails and tie my shoes. And so there was a lot of stuff I had to go through, and there wow. was that that moment where she just stepped up and just like verbally uh just checked me in, in a very positive way but she like was like you've got to tap into this warrior it's still there and I'm like no it's not there like I don't even want to talk about the touchdowns I don't want to talk about the record I'm done she's like that's bullshit are you going to be 65 years old and walking up the stairs and trip and break your hip then or do you want to actually be the athlete you are do something athletic and break it because you're an athlete and you're a warrior and I was like well, amen. You have something there. Yeah. <laughs> amen. And that's, that's kind of what it is, right? It's that they know you so well and they know how to, to really get at the core of you and to say, hey, bud, it's time to smarten up. It's time to get moving in the right direction for your sake, but for our sake and for, for your wife's sake. I mean, that powerful story there, but that's, I think it's very similar with a lot of guys who have ended up transitioning successfully is they've got a good partner that can help them out. Yeah, totally. Well, would you do it all over again? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always say football is life escalated. So you watch it on your coach's face. And you can see every single year how much they age. It's like every single season is about five years of life. Right. And the amount of effort that goes into one week of a game plan as a player, as a coach, as anybody involved in the administration, that kind of effort is really why there are so many highs and so many lows because you're pouring it all in for one week. And you really get to understand if you're on the right path in a hurry and you get to make these little course corrections or major course corrections along the way. And it, it just goes so fast. It's, it's so high, so low, because there has to be a balance in it all. And you get to experience so many ups and downs throughout that process, the injury, the triumphs, the, the moments where you're the absolute knucklehead of the organization where you're getting chastised in the media and nationally everyone's looking at you, the center of a football team and going, what an idiot. Why would he do that? And, <laughs> and then overcoming those moments, I regular humans, they have to wait a long time for the payoff for any project that they're working on to show if it was successful or not. And football, you know, if what you did that off season was successful week one, you understand that completely. You understand that the way you trained your body and your mind is going to pay off in a hurry. And so for me, the lessons that I learned in, in a really quick amount of time, I know I 
retired from the NFL at 33, but I felt like I had the wisdom at that point of a 60 year old based on all of the experiences that I had had up until that point. And you don't forget those experiences. Oh, not at all. You know, and, and when you talk about those experiences and reflecting, what, what, when you reflect in your whole career, like, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? That's, uh, yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, I, I guess the thing that I, that I learned the most from myself in my NFL career is that, you know, when you completely commit to something and your everything in your, your life is aligned with achieving that goal, you may not get exactly the prize you were looking for, but you will become the person you were hoping to be. And I didn't get the Super Bowl championship that I was striving for, but at the end of the day, it's not about the, the Super Bowl championship. It's not about the Pro Bowls. It's not about being in the Hall of Fame. It's about every single day becoming a better person than you were the day before. And football was just the way that I learned that. And so there were so many takeaways from my NFL career, but, you know, it, it really does come back to, I'm not as good today as I will be tomorrow in every single day from here on out until I'm 90, a hundred years old, I will find a way to be better than I was the day before. And it's, it's hard to sum up an NFL career in, you know, one, one big takeaway. I think there's a lot of takeaways. Like for example, Antonio Gates gave us a really good speech one night while we were in Kansas City. It was Saturday night, and uh, Mike McCoy used to let one of the veterans of the team give a speech, and, and Gates hit the nail on the head. He's going to be a pro football Hall of Fame tight end. He's unbelievable. And what he said was, you make your habits, and then your habits make you. And what he was really talking about, he was talking to the younger guys, because as you got older, your habits were there and they're very difficult to break. And a lot of times you just get on autopilot and the autopilot mechanism kind of takes over. But when you're first starting out a process and you're learning something new for the first time, if you can be very diligent and get really good instruction at the beginning of it and learn how to program your brain and your body to do the process the way that it needs to be done. Then when the pressure ramps up and the speed gets a little bit faster, then your body and brain are going to already be programmed that their default setting is going to be success. And that's what Gates was really talking about when he said, you make your habits and then your habits make you. And so, you know, it's not only things that I've thought of, but other lessons that guys have taught along the way and in what a wonderful experience it all was, really. That's awesome. And I, and I love what Antonio Gates said about habits because it's, man, it's, I mean, it's just the little things in our lives. Just like, you know, I'm, th- I'm sure you've heard about this, but, uh, you know, there was a, um, a military uh, soldier or, or someone that was high ranked was talking about how important it is to make your bed every day. Um, oh yeah, you know, got and, that book. yeah, and it's just it's just that habit. Like the more, the more you're building that habit, the more you're building that best practice and that standard, man. It it becomes a reflection of you. Yes, 
that's that's exactly it and i i try to do that in everything that i do and i try to give that to my kids too is you've got to build on really good fundamentals early on because those fundamentals end up just taking over yeah for sure <laughs> exactly exactly well nick i i can talk with you for hours about your career and and how you think about uh mindset but um before we close out here uh, i want to have you have the platform here to share with my listeners your podcast and, and all the cool things you're doing right now how can they follow right on, you Grant. yeah Hey, thank you. And what a pleasure this has been. So yeah, people can follow me. I'm at Nick Hardwick on Instagram. I also have a supplement line. It's at hardwick.life, like hardwick.com, but hardwick.life. And kind of just the, the same thing we just talked about. Those are the fundamental type vitamins and supplements that people need in their life as the bedrock for health and, and something to build on there. And then also in the health and wellness space, I've got a podcast. It's called Finding Center with Nick Hardwick. So you can follow that on Instagram too. It's at Finding Center Podcast. And it's a health and wellness podcast that I get to talk to thought leaders and doctors and Harvard Harvard cardiologists, Stanford neuroscientists, uh, Yale children's psychologists. I had on one of the leading uh, psychiatrists in the world yesterday, Daniel Amen's his name. He just wrote a book called Mental Illness. It's how neuroscience is transforming psychiatry and helping prevent mental illness. So a lot of topics like that. And then I'm, I'm tapping into a, a little thing called Lessons from Legends, where I'm starting to speak to former NFL players about what has allowed their success in life. A lot like you're doing, Grant. So I, I really appreciate the time coming on. I mean, this was it was a really good experience for me. So thank you. Absolutely, Nick, and it's uh, it's an honor to have you on my show, and it was actually an honor to to watch your career, um, and just sharing your journey and your mindset and your energy and your passion for the game and passion for life, man. I, I really appreciate it. Um, selfishly, this has been awesome, and I know that my listeners will. So again, thank you for being on my show. Hey, thank you, Grant. I appreciate it. You bet. <laughs>